For the interview today, we have Tim Goodrich. He's a local shoe shop owner. He makes shoes. His uh, business is in downtown Flint called Satorial Shoes. You can find it at satorial.com. And Tim is really responsible for a lot of great work happening here in Flint. He has a number of ministries he's responsible for. So stick around for the interview, and I know you're going to hear some great stuff. We're now joined with Tim Goodrich. Tim, welcome. Thank you for having me here. We're so excited to have you here. Um, tell us about yourself and especially your conversion story. You've got a great story. Please, please share that with us. Okay, is this from from Protestant to Catholic, or is this uh, just like going how how far back you to go? How far I've back only, do you want to go? Well, I'll I'll give you a condensed version of up to like before Catholic. Sure. Um, I was raised, born and raised in a pretty solid evangelical Protestant home. And uh, so f- for me, it, was, it feels sort of inherent, like the, the idea of just believing in Jesus and the Bible and all that kind of stuff was just sort of like, oh, of course. And um, then just as I got into my teen years, um, that grew, grew a little bit deeper in youth group, we started. I started going to these Bible studies with my youth pastor, and kind of gained a hunger for Scripture, just reading and understanding and studying Scripture, and um, the that sort of continued to grow to the point where I was maybe reading a little bit of theology and just things, you know, a lot of Christian books and theology and stuff into my late teens, kind of some apologetics stuff at some point to start you know once I started asking questions like well is this like historically you know is there legitimacy to this historically philosophically etc and um, the the thing that started to lead into the Catholic direction was that I would say in particular in my early 20s the idea of um, not not just sort of a a, a disembodied faith, but the, like that somehow the, the idea of the, the church, in my case as a Protestant, the local church, started to kind of come into my awareness. Like, oh, I, I feel like there's some, there's something important about not just being a lone Christian, but a connection to a church. And so then that began to deepen over time both experientially, but also just on a theological and biblical level um, to the point where, um, I would say, I, so I, I, when I was about 30, somewhere around there, 29, 30, 31, I forget what exact age, I started working for a church and I was kind of like on the, I wasn't the senior pastor, but I was like in kind of a ministry position and I was good friends with the pastor and we were, there was just some sort of ecclesiological decisions that we were having to make. And the more I was kind of delving into that, I just was became more and more convinced that there had to be some sort of, it felt like we were trying to reinvent certain things. And so 
I just thought like there has to be some more like a grander, more unified, authoritative sense of the church. And so um, that sort of that that pushed me in the direct, uh, direction of pre-reformation and then of course you know catholic at some point you start looking at the catholic church and um it was i will i'll just add this little tidbit that for me it was important i mean naturally because I, I see i see things going back there were there seeds that were planted positive experiences with catholics because at the very least probably most protestants or at least evangelical protestants are somewhat suspicious of Catholics. Like, why, why in the world would they have that kind of view of Mary? That's one of the biggest ones. And there's a whole range of issues. And um, yet, I, I had a, a range of positive experiences with Catholics. Um, so, I mean, I could, if you want to delve into some of that, I can. But that's that's sort of the shorthand. So, so, so within four, uh, about four years, I think it was four and a half years ago that I ended up, like, coming actually being uh, what's the word <laughs> received into the church confirmed into yeah. the into the Catholic Church so that's a, an interesting point you make about um, Protestants and Catholics and, and the way that um, they see each other so coming from the Protestant side into the Catholic side um, what would be oh perhaps what could be some ways in which we as Catholics could reach out to Protestants and try and and bring unity into the 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 whole the church as a whole to right. pr- perhaps try and bridge some of those um, those those difficulties that they have. Right. I think here's. Um, I think my answer to that question would be. To. Uh, okay. For, for first of all, the Catholic answers kind of of things are helpful in the sense that, because there are a number of things that Protestants believe about Catholics that most of the problem ones aren't, they're, they're slightly mis, they're slightly misunderstood, like what the Catholic view is. So like the Catholic view of Mary, a lot of evangelicals or Protestants think that they, Catholics worship Mary which of course is not the case. And so understand, like getting an understanding of, if you can get a, a scriptural answer for these things, then it's extremely helpful. Like, oh, well, this is why, you know, Mary is the, you know, the new Eve and, you know, the whole list of answers for, you know, what we view about Mary. And then, but secondly, I would just say, just scripture in general, like read, read yes. reading the Bible and understanding the Bible and getting like a grand scope of the Bible because... I mean, ideally, that should be the case, even with, without even, without this idea of trying to woo uh, or or unite with Protestants. But it's certainly, you know, for for, for Protestants, that's all there. Is. Like their church history or tradition is much less of a thing for Protestants. And so, like, if you can speak their native language, then I, I think that's extremely helpful. Yeah. So, um, one of the things you didn't mention in your story, uh-huh. which I am really intrigued to hear about, is uh, you make shoes for a living. Uh huh. How does one get into the shoemaking business? How does that happen? That's that's such an interesting thing. You don't hear that very often. 
yeah. Well, let me. So, if there's any part of that, I I just I didn't want to bore you guys with details like a super long answer. But any part of that, feel free to <laughs> to zoom in on. But that so with the shoemaking, I um after I was so I was working at this church. It was called Christ Community Baptist Church, and I started to get involved in just some small business stuff, and I wanted to. Um, just do something sort of alongside working at this church. And that long story short, that, that got me connected with a, a friend that I had recently met. And we ended up kind of teaming up to start what became known as the Plant Crave Company. And that we, we started out just as a cart and we were making it with a crepe cart. It was, it was a, it was like a hot dog cart with crepe, griddles on and so we started that and then before that event before that got into right right before the restaurant because it was moving in the direction of opening up a physical restaurant location which is now open and um so i uh so i i decided not to make that transition it just wasn't at that point very attractive to me and there, there were a few reasons why I wasn't crazy about that and right along at same time it was kind of time-wise lined up with the, the church that I was working at was basically in the process of getting ready to close down because it was this small old um, church it was doing some good work but the pastor was getting ready to retire and news so what what with both of those things happening, I started thinking of what I want. I, I th- th- it was kind of a weird situation at the church, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to do church, any church work for a while. And so somehow I had just on a hobby level stumbled onto this whole thing about making shoes on YouTube. I saw some stuff, and so my plan, just on a hobby level, was I'm going to learn how to make like a pair of shoes for myself. And then when these other events kind of came about, I just decided, you know what, I'm because I'm, I'm not, I wasn't married and I'm still not married or have don't have a family or anything. And so I had the ability to just decide, I'm going to go and do a shoemaking apprenticeship somewhere. And so I found a guy, a sh- uh, an expert, like master shoemaker in Pennsylvania and um, spent a few months with him learning some of the basics and um, came back to Flint. Again, that's a whole story into itself, but it just seemed like everything was aligned. Like the at, at that point, everything just sort of fell into place with opening up my sh- the shoe shop. And uh, so I opened it up, did shoe repair for a couple of years and uh, m- without really making too many shoes, like, taking almost any orders, but just kind of finishing off my skills or getting ready to have the skills to make shoes and boots. And then um, it really kicked into gear when a friend of mine who I had kind of connected with and just through some downtown stuff, Cynthia started working at the shoe shop, helping me repair. And we, we ended up cooking up the scheme for this, this line of boots called the Buckham Boots. Buckham Boots. And that we did a Kickstarter for that, and then that kind of successfully launched the boot, the boot business, which is most of what I've done for the last since twenty fifteen, I guess it was, so five years maybe. So, 
So that's, and then, uh, yeah, to this day, that's what I'm doing. So you want to promote yourself a little bit? What's the name of your company and where can people find you? Uh, the name of the company is Sutorial, which is Latin for having to do with making shoes. And um, there's a website, Sutorial.com. You can Google, just Google Flint Bootmaker or, for that matter, Michigan Bootmaker. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many of them yeah, around. Right. <laughs> Do you and, mean to say that you're the only bootmaker in Flint? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you can go to the Insta. It's probably better to go to like the Facebook or Instagram. I think it's just Instagram. I hate to say this. That's kind of a necessary evil because I'm getting to a place where I really, really despise social media. Um, but it's a necessary well. evil for me. And so uh, Instagram, as vacuous as it probably is, uh, um... <laughs> Instagram, or is it backward slash or forward slash tutorial? And that, that, that's probably, you know, you can see a lot of the different, different pictures of boots and stuff. And, it's, you know. Great. That's, that's so, how you can find me. Tim, you mentioned in your, uh, in your journey to ultimately the Catholic Church now. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned that for a time you worked in ministry. Yeah. And I think for anyone that, in this area that knows you and knows some of the things you're involved in, it might seem almost like you're, um, you know, working into a, I guess, a much more active uh, ministry role, not necessarily paid in this case, but, but definitely active in the community. Right. Um, could you tell us about some of those things that you're involved with? Oh, you, you mean like now? Yeah. How yeah, that's... like right now. Um, I am... So from a ministry perspective, um, and I, it's, it, 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 in some way it kind of feels like they all, they're sort of connected. Maybe it's just because I'm personally doing them, but they still, it's hard for me to neatly delineate them. But um, one of those would be, uh, I'm part of, I live with, a, with a, um, a few other guys, younger Catholic guys, and I'm not including myself in the word younger, by the way. 44 <laughs> and so I'm the oldest by far and so in some ways that seems a little bit weird and um, believe it or not I'm still like open to the idea of eventually getting married to family. but at, I'm like it, it seems clear to me that God intentionally at least for this period of my life God still has intentionally has me there and he's spoken to me in different ways about that and so um, the men's house is like I said, it's a group of you know a handful of younger Catholic guys, and since I've been part of it for the last couple of years, it's been relatively um, loose in the sense of uh, like not necessarily tightly run, and so um, so in some sense you might just say it's it's a group of guys that are seeking to live the Catholic life together and praying together when possible and we're kind of in a phase right now though where we're trying to tighten that up and God it seems it seems as though God has been speaking to us about some things that he wants to come into place one of it which seemingly is getting into a new house uh, bringing in some more members to the men's house and sort of um, being a bit more intentional about the way we operate to our lives together prayer together family uh, or family community and, and meals and so forth to the extent possible 
So, um, so that would be one, just the, the, this, this men's house. We call it the Archangel House. And uh, actually, it was, I think it was started maybe 10 years ago or something by Nick Pabos. I think Nick Pabosik was the, the starter of that. So that, that would be one. And then another one would be, um, you want me to just kind of run through them? And then you, if, Go if you can it, ask yeah. one. Another one would be um, men, a mentoring thing for young boys that's turned into young now. <laughs> I had to be careful how I say that. Young boys that is now including young girls. Um, a, a, about a year ago, um, and I, is it okay if I just give a little bit of context? Because it's hard for me to say any of these things without saying that for the last, um, well, the prophetic dreams seem to have with for the last couple of years, as weird as that might sound to some people, like some, there's some, been some very, very clear ways that God has spoken to me, particularly in dreams. And it's, it's just become clear to me that those have been borne out in, in many kind of freaky, like literal ways. And so though it's, it's not my primary motive, just there's a, there's a process of discernment. A lot of at least the initial ways that, that things come into my purview is through, through dreams. Okay. So I realize for a lot of people that that's kind of sounds weird or flaky or whatever. And if that's, that's fine, but it's hard for me to talk about these things with at some point talking about like, I wasn't really thinking about this and all of a sudden God spoke to me through some dreams. So anyway, so with the, with, with the, the mentoring thing, I just started having like a lot of dreams about that were, um, that involved like this idea of mentoring younger boys. And so I was already slightly connected with some stuff on, uh, at St. Mary's, the East side. Uh, and which is sort of the, those not familiar, it's kind of the main parish in this area that deals with kind of ministry to almost like an inner city type of setting. And so, um, and I, they wouldn't stop. And so I, for, it seemed like an unideal time uh, for, to, to start that up. And so I just started, like, eventually I, I just realized, like, okay, let, let me back up. It's not as though that, like, th that has no context. That, that's part of what I did at the, the church that I used to work at, the Baptist church. And it's in that, in that realm of ministry, it is something that, that kind of tugs a heartstring with me. But certainly timing-wise, it just didn't... I knew at some point something like that might come back around. But it just... The, the timing di didn't seem ideal. But it got to the point where I was like, okay, okay, God, I'm, I'll, I'll start moving on this. And uh, so we did it, and it was just like me and a couple of roommates, and we started like taking these like two families, two different groups of brothers uh, out every other week. And it seemed rather insignificant. And uh, we just kind of take them out and do fun stuff with them, maybe spend 15 minutes reading a Bible story or something like that. We'll grab something to eat. And, but it's mostly just having fun with these boys. And um, so, and we just were, we just tried to be faithful with that for the last year. Again, it didn't feel like we were being, we're, we're changing the world or anything like that. And, um, and then this last year, or this last year, just within the last like month or so, I had this other dream where in the, uh, in, the, in the dream, I was talking to somebody that I know about this ministry. 
and I somehow had the, the sudden conviction in the dream that I was supposed to start telling everybody I know about this ministry to recruit them for mentoring. And, uh, and it just, I, I, I might've even started crying or something in the dream. And so I, I knew that I was supposed to, um, that I just felt like very poignant and very like, Oh, God's speaking to me through this, I think. And that ended up without going into all the details or I don't want to bore you guys, but just that got confirmed in a few other ways over the next few weeks. And I was just waiting like, God, just, if you want to confirm this and it, it, the, it ended up just sort of falling into my lap. Like that was something that the sisters that, that work over at the East side, they just, um, they, they got in touch with me and they were like, Hey, we want to expand this ministry that you guys are doing. And so for the last few weeks, um, sister Rachel Benjamin and I have been kind of cooking up a way to recruit more mentors and include girls in it so that girls can get mentored. So, um, so that's something that we're at. It's ongoing. We're sort of recruiting, um, people to be mentors for these kids. Um, and then what else? Um, the arc is something I, I feel like I'm just rambling. <laughs> You're just going on and on and on here. The no, arc is something which in, in a weird sort of way that the, so the arc, by the way, if you guys want to interject at any point, ask me any deeper questions you can. Um, the arc is sort of, it's kind of a long story, but it was kind of born I, to maybe condense it. It was born out of something that it's seemingly a vision of uh, Father James Mangan when he was here. And um, when, he, when he was about to leave, um, to some degree, I kind of got involved in, in, in part of the leadership of it. And again, this was another thing where it, it felt to me like it was it was like almost more of an issue of obedience rather than anything. I felt like the Lord really putting this on my heart, and it just and it's uh, essentially a way. It's almost like a ministry. The way I think of it is almost like a ministry collective, uh, kind of a worship and ministry collective in Flint of people that are connected to Flint, uh, Catholics, and even non-Catholics, but for, for mostly, mostly Catholics. And it's kind of a ministry collective of people that are involved in different ways of doing ministry in the city and, um, and coming together for, uh, uh, just a handful of things like a night of worship, a uh, night of just fellowship together, eating and so eating together and so forth. And when several of us that were part of that, once the encounter school of ministry came kind of into the picture when some of us, were, a lot of us were going to that, that whole, the, the sort of philosophy, theology, ministry experience and practice and so forth, that sort of began to soak into what we were doing so that that was, that has become like a large part of it. And to let people know who may not be familiar with yep. the Encounter School, that's a school started by Father Matthias Salen uh, at St. Patrick's in Brighton. Yep. And uh, could you tell us just a little bit about that, maybe a minute or so? Yeah, yeah. So that's something where it, it was started in Columbus. They moved up to uh, um, Ann Arbor area in Brighton. And it was a couple of years ago that they moved up here through, a whole again, a whole bunch of God stuff, uh, orchestrating them coming up to here. And 
for, from my angle, it was, I'd been praying at the beginning of, I believe 2018, it was, I was, I started to pray that God would, um, bring somebody into my life that would be able to, to some degree, like mentor me in the, the things of the Holy Spirit, hearing from God, praying for healing and so forth. And later in the year, I found out about this school that was coming and I looked it up and I was like, whoa, it just, it just seemed like such an amazing opportunity. And in essence, what it is, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, I think it's open to non-Catholics. I don't, I'm not familiar with any non-Catholics that, that are part of it, but it's, it's open to Catholics and Protestants and probably other, like, ortho, if somebody was Orthodox or something. But it's basically what it is. It's in a nutshell. It's learning how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. So things like praying for healing, uh, you know, power evangelism, hearing from God, the Holy Spirit, prophecy, dreams, uh, inner healing, spiritual warfare. All these these kinds of things that we generally think of in the realm of like kind of like Book of Acts type stuff. So. And so you, you've mentioned a couple of times now, dreams play an important part in, in your life. So I'm sure this school was very helpful in, in helping you understand how that, that plays a role in your life. Yeah, I would say it was, I started having them. It was shortly after the school started and they, there was a night where they prayed for um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for everybody that was mm-hmm. present. And then I had somewhat of an experience that night and then, Later in the week, back in Flint, um, through another uh, meeting, I had an even deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. And that night, I had my first, uh, you know, what I would call prophetic dream. And so it was largely in connection with Encounter that that started. And they did have one, they did have a night where they talked about, um, specifically about prophetic dreams, somebody that had the experience and knowledge. And I've read a lot of, you know, I've books and watched a lot of videos and stuff in the, in the interim as well, just to try to do everything I can to understand, like, how, you know, how does this whole thing work? But Yeah. And dreams are certainly not a, a weird part of the Christian life, right? Especially you look in scripture, right? You told us to look in scripture and you see Joseph, both Josephs in the old, in, in the old, in, in the scriptures, they were, they were dreamers. That's right. And God spoke to them in, in dreams. And it's not a foreign concept to us, not a, a weird thing, but something God does want to use to, to reach out to us and to speak to us. Yeah. Or at least it shouldn't be weird. I mean, even I think it's weird sometimes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but from a theological perspective, it should be yeah. certainly within the framework of what, in my view, the framework of what we consider to be at least somewhat normal in the Christian life, because on the day of Pentecost, uh, you know, could list several places, but St. Peter says, this, what you see is, uh, what you see and hear is the fulfillment of what God spoke through the prophet Joel when he said, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So for the way I read that, Peter seems to be saying, this is the fulfillment, and for the rest of this age, this is... An, an, uh, until the coming, the return of Jesus Christ to set to establish His kingdom on the earth, this is the kind of thing that should be considered somewhat normal activity for all Christians to be able to hear God through, you know, 
uh, prophetic utterances through prophetic dreams and so forth. And so at least in my, I mean, maybe I'm completely wacky and completely like have lost all my marbles or, and that's certainly a possibility or <laughs> the other possibility is that the actually like perfect, you know, th this whole thing of God speaking like that, whether it's dreams or prophecy, or whatever actually does like that's not to say you don't need to be wise there, there is a wisdom that you need to have about it but mm -hmm. and and discerning it but within those parameters it's one of the most power to, to 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 be able to have this ability to hear the voice of god as you're kind of feeling your way around in life is one of the most empowering and amazing experiences from my vantage point so so Two things that are striking me about your whole, like your whole journey, and especially like um, since you've become Catholic and stuff, yeah, is one dreams and just like hearing God's voice, mm -hmm. but then also the process of discernment that it sounds like you're always going through. Uh huh. And so, in relation to that, I would. It's kind of a two-part question, but uh -huh. one, what is your vision for Flynn, and two what what could people take away from your experience um, whether it's through discernment or through just seeking the Lord's voice or something like that what can what can listeners take away to more fully participate in the mission of the church here um, how about um, what was, what was the, so the, was the sorry, first part? <laughs> sorry about that. That was a lot. No, no. So the first part is, what's what's your vision for Flynn? Okay, let's can just put a stop there yeah. and then uh, then go to your next one. Re remind me what your next question is after that. Um, so part of it is, um, I, I guess I have a sort of a two-pronged answer, which the first is kind of a non-answer which is to say, I, I feel like I'm a really, in, in some sense, a bad um, Christian or leader or something like that because I don't have like a clearly elucidated or clearly, it's, I, I don't often think forward well in, in nicely organized terms. And so, um, and those who know me well will, will agree that I can have a tendency to be quite disorganized. So a lot of what I'm involved in is almost a result of just like, it's not so much from a, from a vision like, oh, this, this lines up with this vision that I had and so I'm going to do this, this, and this. A lot of it feels rather haphazard. And I, I would actually argue that to some degree anyways, that's how the Christian life should be. That if you're open to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that um, there are going to be things that pop in where you just you hadn't been planning it, but you just obey it. So if, like when um, when Philip went to uh, the um, to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch, he had no idea previous to that. I mean, this was just totally like God said, go go south to the road to wherever it was, Azotus or something. Or maybe that was the place he went after, but nonetheless, that you get the idea. There was just a lot that happened in the book of Acts where it was just like, God says this. Oh, so you go do this. So in one sense, I don't have a vision. 
but in another sense, if, if I'm honest, there is some, there is kind of a, a, a deeper level vision, I feel like, that I'm operating out of. Um, I would say one of the, um, the Christian leaders that, and then there's, I, I could probably name many, but to name one, a Christian leader that I thought did ministry in the context of mission uh, very well and implemented a lot of things that um, that I, and at least broadly speaking would seek to emulate is his name is uh, E. Stanley Jones and he he was a Methodist uh, missionary to India in the early 20th century and at the time he was actually quite well known he actually was um, friends to, no, I don't say friends, but somewhat familiar with people higher up in the government, both in India and in the United States, so that when the war was approaching, he was actually kind of involved in trying to work out some sort of solution so that war could be avoided between Japan and the U.S. Then, anyways, as, as far as his ministry work goes, he um, was... He, did, he just did a lot of evangelistic ministry that was very, I, I felt like, um, very incarnational and very, um, what would I say? Again, it's, I, I, I think it was good that he was in, it was in the context of a foreign country because it was, it's this idea of mission. And I think that's the way that we have to think about ministry here in the U.S. It's not... Um, not maintenance, if it were, as it were, but seeking to look at our context almost like a foreign country and seeking to understand the people that we're ministering to. But so, so there's, um, for that reason, I like E. Stanley Jones, and there were there were things about ministering to the poor, ministering to the intelligentsia, ministering, to, you know, doing like he had uh, healing like healing services. Um, apologetics was part of what he did. Um, so there was this whole range of things that, in my view, is, it seems like a lot of um, different areas of ministry that he was involved with in the context of mission. And so in that sense, for me here, a lot of those things, those are things that I'm, I'm excited about. So as you've heard, as we talked about through Encounter, um, this idea of praying for healing and letting the power, you know, that, that sort of power evangelism piece. Uh, come to play. Um, there's um, seeking to minister to the poor, and part of the the, the um, that's partly what this mentoring thing is 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 about is ministering to the poor. At least metaphorically, it's the widows and orphans kind of idea. Um, there's um, apologetics. I think. I don't think we should lead with apologetics, but I think that we should be well-informed about what we're talking about and well-informed about our faith so that we do have, as, as Peter says, uh, a, a reason to give for the, um, for the hope that we have. So knowing that the Christian faith is a very rational, it's not, it's much more than rational, but it is a rational understanding of all of life, really. And so being able to um, to understand that and get that idea across to those 
out in the world or even in the church that may, may have some big questions about all this kind of stuff. And then, um, what else would I say? So maybe to kind of tile that in a bow, I would say how that's applied would be having Christians come together to, um, to minister in this city, to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to pray for revival, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to evangelize, to minister to the poor, to, I mean, there's plenty of that to go around in Flint, to, um, to be, um, to have answers to the big questions of life, even for those that are like, uh, what you might call the, you know, like in downtown Flint, there's a little bit more of the, it's not so much ministry to the poor, but like people in business or people in government or those kinds of things where there's like, um, having some intelligent answers to the, to the questions of life and why, why Jesus and why the Bible, those kinds of things. Um, so I know that's, you, it's, it's easy to tell based on my answer that I don't think well in organized terms. So, um, but that sort of maybe somewhat paints a picture of what I, what I would hope to be the case in Flint. Yeah, certainly. And, so one thing we really want to focus on here in, in this podcast as well is that, you know, it doesn't take the clergy to put everything together, right? Uh-huh. The, we really want the, the lay people to take leadership in a lot of this and, and to really start ministry on their own. You're a great example of this because you've, you've been involved in so much ministry here in Flint, having um, the shoe shop right downtown um, get, puts you um, right in the center of everything that's happening in Flint. So the Bible studies that have started there. The, the mentoring program, all of these things that you're doing, the men's house, um, all these things just came from you naturally from just saying yes to the Lord and being open to his will. And that's something we really want to um, encourage everyone who's listening to this to, to pay attention. What is the will of God in your life? And, and what is God calling you to do? Maybe he's not calling you to, to do any of these things that we just mentioned here, but he's calling you to something. He's calling you to minister to some people. And I think it's important that, that all of us stand up and and just and listen to what the Lord has to say to us in, in whatever way he wants to say it to us. He may not speak to you in dreams, right. but he's going to speak to you in another way, in a way that you can listen to it. And it's important for us to be to be listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do, you, do you want me to respond to that? Sure. Okay. Yeah, go for I, it. Yeah, I, th- I think that um, 90% of, maybe that's overstating it, but we'll just go with that, 90% of life or being at least moderately successful, I guess, or just moving the ball forward is just showing up. And um, it doesn't require, and I know I struggle with this. I'm sure everybody struggles with this, this idea of like, oh, I'm not talented enough. I'm not, you know, you, you kind of go through the laundry list of your own faults and like why you're not qualified to do this particular thing or to lead anybody or whatever. And that's not to say that there aren't legitimate reasons that would disqualify somebody, but for the most part, I think those are just things that um, Satan, if I can use that term, uh, uses against us to get us to really, to be ineffective or to really not do anything. And so my view, and maybe this is partially colored by coming from outside the Catholic Church, 
but um, because I, I, I do, um, I do have a high view of priests, and I think it's amazing when pre when people that feel a call to the priesthood or to religious life or whatever answer that call. I think that's an amazing thing, and they should be honored and respected. Now that being said, I think some, at least coming from outside the Catholic Church, I think sometimes, oftentimes, the view of Catholics towards priests is almost like they're putting them on a pedestal, and like they, you can just tell the way they talk about a priest or like when the priest is around. It's almost like, like John Lennon or Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like, all right, they're you know. I mean, I, again, I, I think the honoring part is great, but some we, we have to be careful to realize, like, priests and religious are people with skin and bones, you know, are with people that have real, real flaws. I mean, they're just like you and me, in a sense. And even Jesus was, in the scripture says that, that Jesus was a man just like us. Now, of course, he was, um, there, there were ways, he was also God. <laughs> But he, so, so being a, for me, maybe there wasn't as much of a natural hurdle to like, well, oh, the priests are always the ones that have to do, or if we can't really do anything significant unless the priest is involved. And um, so I, to me, it just sort of seems, it feels like second nature to realize that the lay people, um, uh, in a manner of speaking, all throughout the Bible, God used lay people. I mean, he used religious as well. He used, you know, pastors, priests, etc. But you go through, like, some of my favorite characters in Scripture are, like, Joseph in the book of Genesis or Daniel. You know, he was used by God in the Babylonian Empire as a governmental official. And these are, and you, you know, Esther. You could go on and on down the list of lay people that had very regular, real-world, sort of secular-type work, and they were used mightily by God in many different ways. And um, so for me, that's just sort of like second nature to sort of um, to realize, like, yes, the lay people are just as important, if not even more important in some ways, than pastors and uh, priests and so forth, because there's been, if for no other reason than just the sheer number of laity compared to the priesthood. So, um, I, yeah, I, I heartily agree that that the lady, I think, get la- the lady saying yes to ministry is absolutely essential. Well, good. Well, as a, as a priest, I'll say, that'll preach. That'll <laughs> preach. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a pleasure to have you with us. And, uh, and a sneak preview, perhaps, for next week. We'd love to have you back on again to talk about Pope Francis's new encyclical that'll drop, Fratelli Tutti. Okay. <laughs> Just give me a heads up when uh, it. when that comes. Is, is, when's that supposed to come out? October 3rd, I believe. Okay. I believe it's the 3rd of October. All right. Do we know what it's about? Nope. We just know there's one coming. That's why it'll be exciting. I showed you how good of a Catholic I am. I don't know. Usually usually I miss these things too until they come out and I go, oh, it came out. But I somehow got ahead of this one. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, you guys.